you desire to attend Bible college or seminary, but know that it would be incredibly difficult to uproot your family and move somewhere? Maybe you desire to attend seminary, but you don't want to leave your local congregation. Let me tell you about my seminary, Whitfield Theological Seminary. Whitfield is a conservative, confessional, classical reformed seminary who wants to come alongside congregations and assist them in raising up a pastor. The training of a minister should be done alongside of a congregation. Whitfield offers online classes so that you can fulfill your calling without having to move your family or abandon your church. Go check them out at www.reformed.info. That is www.reformed.info. Tell them you heard about them on The Daily Brew. We at The Daily Brew take the Bible and the study of it very seriously. Have you ever wondered where we our special guests go when we want to dive into God's Word more deeply? We go to Logos, the best Bible software available. From in-depth word studies in the original languages to commentaries from scholars, both new and old. There are lexicons and grammars and sermons and collected works of heroes of the faith. And even ancient texts for the serious Bible students. Never before has so many great tools been bundled together into one software. To learn more about this incredible ministry, call 888 888- Three nine zero seven three four one. That's eight 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 three nine zero seven three four one. While you're there, go ahead and tell them that you heard about this incredible software on the Daily Brew. Listen up, Daily Brew subscribers and listeners. I want to tell you about our newest partner, Audio Blocks and Video Blocks. They're an incredible resource if you're looking for background footage, background audio. We use them for all our video and audio uh, needs. If you're needing background clips, if you're needing short footage for any video that you're making for your business or your church, or just looking for background noises for putting something together, they have everything you need, a huge selection. You have to go check them out. Go check them out at audioblocks.com or videoblocks.com. This is The Daily Brew. We are here with uh, Dr. George Marsden. He's a professor of history at the University of Notre Dame. He's written several different books. Uh, probably the most popular book that he has written is his biography of Jonathan Edwards. It's considered the definitive source on Jonathan Edwards. He's also written an incredible biography on C.S. Lewis and then also on several different movements, whether it be fundamentalism um, or just the history of Christianity and evangelicalism. So, Dr. Marsden, thank you so much for joining our show. Uh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Jonathan Edwards is known as, uh, or is known as, one of the greatest uh, pastors, theologians, or thinkers in the history of America. Why do you think it's so important for the church to look back upon his life or to read his writings? Why do you think it's important for us to study him today? Why does Why does he matter in the twenty first century? Well, Jonathan Edwards is now pretty much 
pretty widely regarded as one of the great theologians of the history of the church. And I think it's important for the church today to be uh, grounded in the wisdom of of the past. I've also studied C.S. Lewis, and he was very eloquent in saying that uh, what we need in, in troubled times is to be rooted in the past and to study history. And, and if you, you see things in a broader perspective, then, then you get, have a better uh, understanding of the present as well. One of my dear friends who uh, heavily influenced me early on in my Christian life, uh, he was mentored by a guy named David Hall, who's a Presbyterian pastor and uh, has written quite exhaustively about uh, uh, John Calvin. Um, he wrote a book called The Arrogance of the Modern. He kind of hits on some of the same things that you're uh, you're saying here, uh, that in order for us to, to make or not make the same mistakes of the past, we need to know our history, but also it helps us shape and better interpret the present as well. So uh, I completely agree with you. I think it's very important that we, we study Edwards and uh, we study him not just uh, to, to know the past, but also to help us in our spiritual walk in our Christian life now and our churches now to, to speak into theological and, uh, issues of our day. The next question I want to ask you is, uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, Jonathan Edwards' conversion? Jonathan Edwards was the son of a, a Puritan pastor in Massachusetts back, uh, he was born in 1703, so he was a contemporary of Benjamin Franklin, and when he was born, uh, Massachusetts, western Massachusetts, where he lived, was sort of on the frontier. And uh, his father was a very uh, formidable uh, reform thinker and emphasized preached conversion and had some revivals in his church. Uh, actually, Jonathan Edwards never pointed to one moment of conversion that, as was common at that time, they viewed conversion as often a, a large, long uh, process and you constantly needed to be uh, checking yourself that if you thought you had made it, that was probably evidence that you were uh, being overcome by pride. And so uh, for him, it's not exactly clear when he was converted, but he does uh, write about the uh, dramatic consequences of it where he became to be overwhelmed at times with just seeing the beauty of God's love and the beauty of God's love in Christ and going out in the fields and uh, just having a sense of uh, God's goodness in uh, redemption through uh, through Christ. So uh, he, and, and, and then he spent the rest of his career urging other people to uh, seek conversion and, and one of his greatest books uh, on the religious affections is all about how do you tell uh, whether you're truly a Christian or, or or not truly a Christian? Now, there is a great deal of debate whether Jonathan Edwards was part of Puritanism. I know some people say that Puritanism ended before Jonathan Edwards, and you being an Edwards scholar, would you say that he was a part of Puritanism, or did it end before he came about? What are your opinions on that discussion? Uh, sure, he, he, he's read as the transition at, uh, from Puritanism to Evangelicalism, 
And so he uh, he, he, uh, works with George Whitfield when George Whitfield comes preaching uh, uh, during the Great Awakening in the 1740s, and he's very much a a defender of the Awakenings. And so he's part of a more modern evangelical movement, and also his thought goes beyond Puritanism in, in part because uh, Edwards was born after the Newtonian scientific revolution, and he's taking into account and responding to a lot of the Enlightenment thought of uh, the 1700s. So he's a more uh, modern thinker than uh, than most of the Puritans would be, even though he's, uh, his theology is basically in continuity with, with what is... Uh, father and and other people before him taught. I think I fell in love with Edwards before I ever heard about the Puritans, and then um, f- because of Edwards, it got me interested in reading the Puritans. Uh, so I'm kind of uh, in love with both categories, or if they're in the same category, whatever that may be, uh, they both definitely interest me. Um, another question I want to ask, uh, one of Jonathan Edwards' most famous sermons, and I would say probably up until about maybe 10 or 15 years ago, was read in public schools, but uh, what do you think, or, or what do you think, or why do you think uh, Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was so influential? Um, it may be the most popular sermon in the history of America. Uh, what do you think made that sermon so popular and made it have such an influence that it did upon the Great Awakening and really the history of the church? A uh, couple things. One is uh, Edwards uh, did not often uh, write in a uh, strongly literary fashion. He didn't use a lot of metaphors and images uh, for most of his writing, or if he did, they were scattered all over the place. In this sermon, uh, he uses all sorts of images of, uh, to uh, intensify the idea that it's only the love of God that's keeping you from falling into hell, that your sins are weighting you down and uh, so it, it, the, the sinners in the hands of the angry God is it, it's really about uh, the restraint of God, uh, and then he uses all sorts of images. Uh, the, the most famous being that of the the spider hanging over a fire, and uh, you could you could cut the cord, and the spider would fall into in, into the fire. So uh, it it builds up an intensity that uh, made it. Uh, there aren't uh, all that many things in American colonial history that are really good writing and made it good for anthologies and literature books, and that's why it was read in in in, in public schools. Uh, it's uh, certainly part of Edwards' outlook to um, to emphasize uh, the the dangers of eternal damnation, but it wasn't any more central to his outlook than it was to anyone else at that time. Every every, uh, every preacher, even the more liberal preachers, uh, preached about hell and believed in, in, in hell. Uh, but it was uh, just the degree of his literary brilliance in that sermon that I think made it, uh, made it memorable. And then also, 
uh, it be, it became anthologized partly because a lot of people uh, later on in the in the nineteenth uh, and twentieth century didn't really like it, and so uh, the emphasis on Helen saw it as a good example of here's the kind of reactionary religion that uh, America should be getting away from, and so uh, it, it was kept in anthologies for that reason as well, I think. I remember reading it in high school, and thinking about that now, I was uh, uh, theologically ignorant at that time, obviously, um, with no theological training or backing, and uh, very immature in my faith, so um, reading it and um, looking back on it now from a different lens, um, now appreciating Jonathan Edwards, it, first of all, it amazes me that it was even read in public schools, but uh, now being able, a fan of the Puritans and of his writing as well, uh, it's interesting and neat to, to look back on, on it and read it again through new eyes. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. I have another question for you. Um, and then we have one fun or one or two fun questions I want to ask you. I always try not to toss these in for our listeners as well. But uh, one last question I want to ask is, um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, one of the figures uh, that is known because of his writing was a man named uh, David Brainerd. Who is David Brainerd, and why is he important for us uh, to, or why is he important for us to understand Jonathan Edwards, and what does he have to do with uh, the writings of Jonathan Edwards? David Brainerd was a uh, young. A young man who uh, was converted to Reformed Christianity and uh, dedicated himself to being a missionary to the Indians and uh, spent his uh, career, not very, not a very long career, uh, traveling among the Indians and risking his life and really his and just destroying his health eventually. Uh, in working to evangelize the missions. Uh, Edwards knew Brainerd and admired him a great deal, and uh, it was mutual. Brainerd uh, uh, was was becoming ill, and uh, he uh, traveled to Edwards' home uh, to try to convalesce, and Edwards' daughter, Jerusha, uh, took care of uh, David Brainerd, uh, until David Brainerd died, and then uh, Jerusha and Jonathan decided to write a memoir of uh, publishing David Brainerd's and editing David Brainerd's uh, diary. So uh, they they published, or he published, the life of David Brainerd. In the meantime, uh, unfortunately, Jerusha died as well, and, and she was buried next to David uh, as a sort of a symbolic. Uh, thing. So, so there's a very touching story there, and also uh, they, the life of David Boehner became an inspiration to many 19th century missionaries, and uh, Jonathan Edwards himself spent most of the latter years of his life uh, in, in a very dangerous part of western Massachusetts as a missionary to the Indians himself, and he risked his life and that of the family uh, being a missionary to the Indians during the time of the French and Indian Wars. So uh, mission work was one of the central concerns of uh, Edwards to to try to share the good news of the gospel. Amen. I love hearing about rich, reformed 
theological men who are passionate about the gospel and passionate about evangelism and passionate about reaching the nations for Christ. Um, I think it kind of goes against all the false narratives that are said about people who are of the Reformed faith not caring about evangelism, prayer, whatever it may be, getting to see people like Jonathan Edwards, it kind of uh, shuts those arguments down almost immediately. Anyway, um, actually, I know I said that there was only one last, or that was the last question I asked before our final ones, but I just thought about this one as well. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the blank Bible? I know Jonathan Edwards wrote a blank Bible, and it's known because, uh, and it's recently got published because uh, I know he wrote um, sideways and then wrote down uh, the same pages, so he wrote over his own handwriting. Um, why is that the case? And could you maybe tell us uh, briefly a little bit about this uh, this blank Bible? Yes, uh, Edwards spent uh, huge amounts of time studying the Bible, and paper was very scarce at times, uh, and so he used every scrap of it he had. He had the blank Bible that, that had uh, big margins where you could take Bible where you could take notes, and then he filled every every nook and cranny of that with uh, various notes in the Bible in, in very tiny handwriting that's almost impossible to read, and it, it took uh, years for people to, to decipher and publish these uh, these notes in the Bible. Mm. Very rich. And uh, with you saying that you wrote a biography on C.S. Lewis, whenever you wrote that at the beginning, I remembered, I've actually read through that, that biography. Um, it's one of my favorites. Uh, you're actually one of my favorite historians. You and uh, Ian Murray are probably my favorite to read, so I always oh, want to see <laughs> new books coming yeah, out. But the C.S. Lewis is actually a, a, called a biography of a book. It's about... Uh, Near Christianity and the story of that. I didn't realize until reading your your biography there that uh, C.S. Lewis had any interaction with uh, Cornelius Van Til. Um, I've long been a fan of Van Til, and then reading this biography, um, I didn't realize that they had any interaction or any dealing with one another. Uh, so I found that incredibly interesting. Also had uh, several discussions. It brought about several discussions with uh, me and several of my friends about the about them and um, about uh, their interactions with one another. Yes, that's yeah, that, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, Evangel well, was one of my teachers. Wow, I didn't realize that I had Dr. Frame as a professor at one point. So, uh, oh, John John Frame was a classmate. That is very neat. The more and more I learn about Van Til and the people who study under him, he has a rich lineage of students who have studied uh, under him and um, who've gone on to be incredible scholars. We always try to toss in one or two fun questions uh, for the people we're interviewing. And uh, one of the questions I want to ask you is, whenever you're not writing or teaching, uh, what do you do for fun? What I do for fun? Well, it's uh, I like to uh, get outside in in the uh, summer and and play a little golf if I can and I just uh, I love to be out to get exercise that way to walk and be in you know with friends and uh, in the winter I still can play ping pong and uh, have some other activities like that and and then yeah I mean there are all sorts of Things that uh, my wife and family do, and church, uh, church activities. But uh, for if you ask about fun, those I I, I, li- I still like 
recreation and games, and I play Scrabble online. To, uh, you know, that's a good relaxing, relaxing thing to do. So I, it, it, when you work intellectually uh, for very long, which I, you know, I, I, I can only work a certain number of hours of the day, and then you need to relax and do something. Take a break. Uh, Amen. Take a break. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true. Right. That's true of most of most activities. <laughs> Amen. Um, so, do you have any favorite writers that you enjoy reading uh, whenever you're not busy, whether it be theology, church history, fiction, whatever it may be? Do you have any uh, favorite writers uh, that you enjoy reading? Oh, uh, I guess many, but uh, so it's hard to pick. But um, as I said, I worked with T.S. Lewis, and and that got me reading every, everything I could by and about Lewis, and and, and certainly he's become one of my uh, my my most favorite writers. And and Edwards long has been before that. It's long long, long been. Uh, one, but uh, boy, uh, yeah, there's many, there's there's many others. I'd like, you know, like, like novelists like John Updike is a is a favorite. Uh, Have you read anything by Wendell Berry? Uh, yes, when, uh, but I'm not I'm not one of those people who is a uh, that, that he's not one of my favorite writers, but I I like Wendell Berry, but uh, okay. yeah. I found a trend, and the only reason I bring him up, I found a trend with uh, most most scholars that I've uh, I've spoken, whether uh, it be uh, mainly with church history, most of them have been um, big Wendell Berry fans. I was uh, I was curious to see if that was a remain. I know, I, know, I know that yeah, I know people who are, and uh, but I never became. I, I'm not sure whether I didn't read the right things or any anyway. <laughs> I, I never became a big, big Wendell Berry fan. Awesome. Well, how long? And then this will be the last one, uh, last question for you. Just curious, how long did it take you to write your your Edwards biography, the larger one? The, the large biography took about uh, five or six years to do. It, it, there, there was an immense mountain of things to read uh, uh, by Edwards, and then also another mountain of things about Edwards and it was fun to do. It was a good it was a good project, but it took it took a long time to to put it all together, but it was well worth it. Doctor Marsden, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show and thank you for your ministry and your writing. Oh well, well thank you so much for, for talking to me. Snappy, make us happy. Okay, that was just weird. Whenever we get a craving for something to eat, where do we at the Daily Brew go? We go to Snappy Tomato Pizza on Washington Pike. If you go to Snappy, you're certain to get the best tasting pizza in town. Snappy's pizzas are made fresh daily with a large selection of toppings. If you're planning on inviting your buddies over for the big game, ask for the beast. It's 24 slices and over 6 pounds of deliciousness. Snappy Tomato. Quality pizza. We love Snappy. Are you looking for something fun to do on these hot summer days? Are you looking for something fun for the whole family? Go check out Ripley's Aquarium in the Smokies. This has been rated the number one aquarium in the country. If you're looking to waddle with the penguins or sleep with the sharks, this is the place for you. 
for an up-close view, check out their glass-bottom boat. Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies has something for the whole family. For more information, go to ripleyaquariums.com. You are busy. You are always on the go. But are you making time for you? The Y is dedicated to helping you stay active, live better, and find the best possible version of you. From basketball courts to functional training space, indoor pools, and yoga studios, the best of Knoxville is right in your backyard. Group classes and personal trainers that will challenge and encourage you. The Y has something for everyone. Join the Y and get unlimited access to all five locations. From the heart of downtown Knoxville to Farragut and Halls, all with no contracts. For a better us. <laughs> 